Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn again to the book of 1 Peter, 
1 Peter and go ahead and find chapter 2. You may already have a marker there. If not, you can put one there in the book of 1 Peter as we're studying through in this series. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, if you set your hopes and dreams on this world, you're going to end up disappointed and maybe even disillusioned. You know, it's one thing for someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ to set their hopes and their dreams on something here and now, but it's entirely something different for a follower of Jesus Christ to do so. So many are struggling in life. They're seeking to find their identity in things that are fading away. They set their hopes and dreams on attaining a position or a possession or a title or a status in life, and either they fall short and end up disappointed, or maybe they make it and they get that position or that status or that title, and yet they still end up disappointed eventually. Even if they find satisfaction, it's short-lived. Why? Because things like disease and divorce and age and many other difficulties come along in life and it impacts their hopes and their dreams and their desires. We're foolish to set our hope on this fallen, fickle world. We're foolish to try to find our identity, beloved, in fading things. We are busy chasing the wind only to watch our dreams fly away with it. We've got to fight as believers to maintain our identity and our purpose and our significance and our satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. And it is a battle that we must fight. It is a war we must wage to maintain our identity, our purpose, our significance, and our satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. We've got to remember who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. We've got to treasure these things which nothing and no one can take away. We've got to rest our hope in Jesus Christ alone. And we've got to spend more time meditating on uh, what He's done for us and who we are in Him and what He's provided for us and what He's made us to be. And you're in First Peter chapter 2 and you're in the second chapter and I want you to find beginning there at verse 4. And what we find here is some great help uh, to enable us to do that, to find our satisfaction and our hope and our significance and our identity in Christ alone. And Peter, writing there in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, as you've already seen as we've read through the passage, it is loaded with precious truth concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and also about who we are in Christ. There's so much ammunition in these few verses to help us to wage that warfare, to battle that fight, to find our identity and our purpose and our significance and our satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone, not in our accomplishments, not in our titles, not in our worldly achievements, not in what office we have, but in Christ alone. And I want to point out three in particular in our few minutes together. I want you to notice, first of all, dear child of God, dear child of God, if you're a saved, born-again child of God, notice this, remember this, we belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. Jesus Christ is described here as the living stone. He was one who was rejected by men but he was chosen by God and is precious to God. And he's described as the chief cornerstone. But he's also described as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And it's important to remember that Jesus Christ is both to those who receive him as Lord and Savior, to those who commit their lives to Christ and follow Christ. He is the chief cornerstone of that spiritual temple into which that person who receives him is placed. And so if you're a child of God, He is the chief cornerstone. And you're one of the stones in that spiritual temple. But to the one who rejects Christ, Christ becomes to that person a stone of stumbling. Like a rock as they're going down a path and they trip over and they fall. It has the idea of judgment. And He is one or the other to everyone. You cannot just skip over Jesus. You must make a decision concerning Jesus Christ. Are you going to accept Him? Or are you going to reject Him? And beloved, if you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, let me plead with you and beg with you, turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Because He loves you. And He gave His life for you. And He died for you. And He shed His precious blood for you. And He was buried and arose for you. And if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, He will forgive you and cleanse you and make you a child of God and take you to heaven when you die. You can't just skip over Jesus. He's either your chief cornerstone or He is a stone of stumbling to you. Now, I want you to notice what it says to those of us who belong to Christ. If you're a child of God. Maybe you're thinking today as you sit in this church in Anson County, North Carolina, that really as you look at your life, maybe think, well, you know, my life has not amounted to much. And in the scope of things, I'm not really somebody. In fact, I'm a nobody. I want to point out to you something very important today. In Christ, you are somebody. And I want to show you what it says about you. We're going to go through these quickly for the sake of time. But especially in verses 9 and 10, I want you to notice what it says about you, child of God, and who you are in Christ. Would you notice, first of all, that you're part of a chosen generation? A chosen generation. You are not a mistake. God is the one who has worked to bring you into His family. He chose you. He worked in your life and brought you to the point of repentance and faith in Christ. And He chose you to be a part of this chosen 
generation. And then it says you're a part of a royal priesthood. We'll talk more about the priest part later, but notice, first of all, that you are royal. You're part of a royal priesthood. You're royal because you're going to reign with Christ, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. So already you should be saying, hey, in Christ I realize there's some wonderful things that are true about me. I'm part of a chosen generation. I'm part of a royal priesthood. And now I'm also part of a holy nation. You've been set apart for God. You've been added to the other people who've been set apart for God and become this holy nation in His sight. And not only that, He calls you and me His own special people. He has the idea of being a special possession. You are special to God. That doesn't bless you. I don't know what will. So think about the fact that you are special to God. I thought about this morning's Sunday school lesson. So we went through and there was a lady there that was not special in anybody's eyes, it seemed. Maybe her family. But everybody else, she was just cheap and nothing. And yet she was special in God's eyes as He brought Rahab into His family, into His fold and worked in her life to bring her to Himself. You are special to God. It goes on to say this. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We went from being lost, condemned sinners, destined and headed for hell, and we've been taken and put upon that firm foundation we sang about today, and now we are the people of God. And furthermore, it says that once we didn't have mercy but now we have obtained mercy. We once dwelt under condemnation. Now we have mercy. And the Bible says, listen, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God today, there's no condemnation for you because your sin has been dealt with at the cross of the Lord Jesus. Now that's verses 9 and 10. If you back up to verse 5, we learn that we are living stones. He's the living stone, the chief cornerstone, a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling. But then it says that we're living stones. You say, well, have you seen me lately, preacher? There's not much stone like about me. Well, you're a living stone if you're in Christ. And these are not just random stones. It's the idea of building stones. Stones have been fashioned to be placed into a building. I know whenever we go up to Pennsylvania, I notice there are a lot more stone Houses and stone dwellings, as many of those are much older than what we have here. And there's something about looking at a stone house or even a stone wall to see how the builder takes and he fits these stones together to create something beautiful and something of value and something of worth. And the Bible says that you as a Christian, you are a living stone. And we also learn here that we're part of a spiritual house. We make up a spiritual temple the Lord is building and the Lord Himself is the chief cornerstone and then we're fitted into the spiritual temple. In other words, we fit into God's plan. We fit into God's will. We, of course, see a parallel here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, once there was a literal temple with literal priests offering literal sacrifices. Now there's this spiritual temple with these spiritual priests offering spiritual sacrifices. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But the main point right now is this. We belong to Christ. No matter what our title, our status, our positions, 
what kind of car we drive, what kind of clothes we wear, whatever else we may or may not have, we in Christ, we belong to Him. And we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, the people of God who now dwell under mercy and not condemnation. But there's more. More ammunition to help us to battle this idea of finding our significance and our purpose and our worth and our identity in this world. And it's this important truth, beloved. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. A lot of times we focus too much on ourselves. We're too individualistic. We notice that this passage focuses, focuses on us all being in Christ. We're one stone among many. We're a chosen generation. We're a holy priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a special people. It's the idea of us together in Christ. And it's so helpful to remember that we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. It's not about just me and mine or you and yours, beloved. We're just one piece of the puzzle. We're living stones. We've been joined together with other stones. I love what, um, what Bentley said about it. He says, God does not use bricks in this building. You know, we have a brick plant right down the road. He said, bricks all tend to be the same. They all have the same dimensions. They all look the same. But it doesn't say that you're God's bricks. Aren't you glad about that? It says that you're living stones. And it's the idea that he takes these stones and we're all different. And yet he takes these stones, these individual stones and joins them together. And they're handpicked by him in place and they're shaped individually to fit in the exact place that God wants them to be in his spiritual house, in his temple. This is true as the church universal. All believers. But I believe it's also true of the local church. God made you. You say, well, that was profound. Well, it is. Think about it. God is the one that made you, you. God made you the way you are. God made me, me. And listen, he chose you. He ordained you and he placed you in this world at this exact time. And furthermore, he placed you in this church at this exact time. And he has a place for you to fill. You have a spot to fill. You have a role to play. I thought about it as the ladies were playing the bells there. We have such talented people here. I can't do that. You don't want to hear me pick up a bell. But yet he's put these ladies here. I can't play that piano. I can't play that organ. There's things you can't do, things I can't do, but there's things you can do and I can do. And God has placed us together. Together as living stones. We have a spot to fill. We have a role to play. And what a wonderful picture before us, beloved. God is placing us all in the exact perfect spot to build this spiritual temple. And listen, how many times does disappointment and disillusionment and so forth come because we focus too much on ourselves? We need to open our eyes and realize that God's plan is much bigger than just you and me in our little area. But here's the exciting part. God's plan includes you and me. And includes our area. Sometimes we're very narrowly focused, but we're one part of this wonderful spiritual temple. So remember, you're not alone. You're some part of something bigger than just yourself. But then there's a third thing. 
As we battle this whole idea where the world tells us, well, if you want to be somebody, you need this, and you've got to have this and that and whatever. And we come and say, no, my identity is in Christ, my purpose is in Christ, my significance, my satisfaction. So here's another piece of ammunition. Beloved, this truth, we have a purpose for our lives. We have a purpose for our lives. Without a purpose for your life, it's hard to go on, isn't it? It's hard to go on. Sad to say, some get to the point in their life where they feel they have no purpose and sadly they even take their life. But I want you to know, God has a purpose for your life. I was telling some of our young people recently that God has a plan for their lives. God has a plan for their lives. And that's true for all of us. God has a plan for your life. Now, I can't tell you all the specifics. I can't outline all the specifics for you, but I can tell you the overall plan because it's right here in the Scripture for us. We've already read it here today. You remember in the Old Testament, there were those Old Testament priests. And the Old Testament priests, their primary responsibility was to represent the people by doing what? By sacrificing animals. Now, you couldn't go to God directly in those days. You had to come to the temple or to the tabernacle, depending on the time, and you had to come through the priest, bring your offering. They would then take the offering and offer it on your behalf. Now, the wonderful thing is, because we're in Christ, we no longer have to go through a priest. We go directly to the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to bring sacrifice. Aren't you glad today you have to bring a goat with you? Or a bull? I know I'm glad you didn't. I'm so glad that's not my job to offer those animal sacrifices. We know that Christ is the perfect sacrifice offered once for all. And so now it says, though, that we're, we're priests. We're part of a royal priesthood, a, a holy priesthood. And so the idea is, well, what are we supposed to do? Because we don't offer animal sacrifices. So what is this all about? Look at verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Wait a minute. Keep reading. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, there's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, the problem is, we say, well, what's a spiritual sacrifice? Is that a pretend animal? Well, let's think about it for a little bit. This whole idea deals with our priesthood as believers, and it deals with our work as a priest. So in the Old Testament, their work involved primarily killing animals and sacrificing animals. We're here... Our primary work as a priest is to offer spiritual sacrifices. So what's this all about? Well, Ephesians 2.10, jot that reference down. Uh, right after it says that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, verse 10 comes along and says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this idea of spiritual sacrifices also has the idea of good works. And generally speaking, I would des describe that and define that as anything that we truly do for the honor and glory of God. Our motives play a huge role in our spiritual sacrifice or our good works. And so a good work is anything that we truly do for the honor and glory of God. Our motive is pure. We're seeking to honor and glorify God. And that includes a whole host of things. In fact, it should include all things. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. But the interesting thing is we can get even more specific. And for the sake of time, because I know you want to go home, I want to just give you the references. I'll read the verse. You jot them down. But let me give you some specific spiritual sacrifices that we're to offer. First of all, we're to offer our bodies. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a, do you remember what the verse says? A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So the very first thing we give the Lord is our bodies. So what does that mean? That means that we use our bodies to bring honor and glory to God. And we don't use our bodies to do things that would dishonor God. As I pointed out before, one of the problems with the living sacrifice, though, is we keep crawling off the altar. Have you ever noticed that? So if that's you today, crawl back on the altar. We to give our bodies, furthermore, to give our praise. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so when we sang today and you were singing, you should have been offering that as a spiritual sacrifice to God. When we praise the Lord. We should be doing that as a spiritual sacrifice to God. Our praise. Thirdly, we're to give our money and resources as spiritual sacrifices. Hebrews 13, 16, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And so when you give to others, when you give to the offering, when you give to the poor and needy, when you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, all these things are spiritual sacrifices that we give to God. Next, we're to give our converts to the Lord or those we went to Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 15, and 16. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering, to the, God, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so when we win others to Christ, that's a spiritual sacrifice. Furthermore, we're to give our love as a spiritual sacrifice, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. See the picture of the Old Testament sacrifice as the aroma rose and God was pleased. So our love is to be the same way. And then finally, and you may not have thought about this one, we're to give our prayers as a spiritual sacrifice. Revelation chapter 8 shows a picture of what our prayers are. It's very interesting. Revelation 8, 3 and 4. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. You see, a spiritual priest, and by the way, if you're a child of God, you are a spiritual priest. And your work as a spiritual priest is to offer spiritual sacrifices, generally speaking, anything that you do for the honor and glory of God. But specifically, the Scripture talks about our bodies and our praise and our money and our resources and our, uh, those who went to Christ and our love and our prayers. And all of these are ascending from our lives as spiritual sacrifices for the glory and honor of God. Just as the Old Testament priest would sacrifice those animals and God was well pleased. Our purpose, but we're not done. We find out more about our purpose. Look at verse 9. We've talked about our work as spiritual priests. 
Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. Now notice the next part. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so we know one of our purposes is to offer spiritual sacrifices. It deals with our work. Well, this deals with two more things, and that is our worship and our witness. It says that we're to proclaim His praises. Verse 9, proclaim His praises. The one who brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're to worship Him. We're to praise Him. Because look at what He's done for us. This one verse alone provides many things which to praise Him. We were once in darkness. We were lost, condemned, undone. Destined for hell. Spend eternity apart from God. In the blackness. But yet... He brought His marvelous light and brought us out of the darkness into the light. We should worship Him and praise Him. Don't ever get over your salvation. Don't ever forget where you were before you met Christ. Don't ever get tired of thinking about the Gospel and praising the Lord. This deals with our worship. But furthermore, it says we're to proclaim His praises. It also deals with our witness. If we're going to proclaim His praises, we're going to tell them out. We're going to tell them loudly. We're going to celebrate His goodness. And we're going to share it with those who do not know Jesus Christ. In other words, don't hide. Don't be silent. Now, we've been talking about all day this idea of how do we battle this warfare that we face in finding our significance and our satisfaction and our purpose. And our identity in Christ alone. Because the world comes along and says, listen, if you want to have be really somebody, you need to obtain this. You need to have this. You need to live there and drive this and have this much in the bank. But then we come to the Scripture. And we find that it's foolish to strive for those things in this world and what the world has to offer. And we find that if we belong to Christ, we have the solid rock. That we are God's special people. We are His precious possession. We have a clear purpose for our life. We have a life work. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices. We have something to do with our life. We're to worship Him and witness Him. We need not be disillusioned, disappointed, or ashamed. In fact, it says we'll not be ashamed if we know Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. This morning we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And may I just remind you something that will never fail. Because God is the one who's building us and placing us. Because Christ is the chief cornerstone. So let me ask you in closing today, beloved, this quick question. First of all, where are you finding your identity today? Is your identity in Christ alone? Not in what your job is, not in who you are, not in what you have, but is your identity in Christ alone. Secondly, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Is your life being spent for Jesus Christ alone? You say, well, I've got to work a job. Yes, work it for Christ. I've got to go to school. Yes, do it for Christ. Do it for His honor and His glory. Offer spiritual sacrifices. And then finally... Who are you truly living for? Who are you truly living for? I mean, that's really the battle, isn't it? When it comes to this whole idea about my identity, my significance, 
and my purpose and my satisfaction? Who are you really living for? Is it all about you? Or is it about Christ? The reason you struggle so is if you're living for yourself, you're always going to struggle. Because true identity, significance, purpose, and satisfaction is found in the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Give your life fully and wholly to Christ. Keep your focus upon Christ. Live for Christ. And find your joy in Christ alone. Father, thank You for this Scripture. Thank You for the challenge that You've given to us here. And Lord, we we are having a hard time even processing all the wonderful truth in just these few verses. Lord, I want to thank You today that You've made us Your own special people. Precious. And I pray for anybody here who's struggling today. If someone does not know Christ, would You bring them to Yourself this very moment? And then for those of us who do, help us to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit's working today and allow Him to put His finger on any area and to truly surrender and give our lives 100% to Jesus Christ to be a true living sacrifice for Him. Have Your will and Your way in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn today, our hymn of invitation, 511, as we've been thinking about Christ and the rock, I thought what an appropriate hymn to close the service. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you need to be saved today, we'd be no greater joy than ours to share Christ with you. Just come down. We're not going to embarrass you or anything. We just want to sit down and share Christ with you. If you want to come and pray today, we would invite you to do that. The altar is open. You come as God leads. 511, the solid rock.